Welcome to the Inventory Nation podcast, a show designed to bring you the incredible voices and stories of veterinary professionals coast to coast, all while helping you to manage and control your inventory. I'm your host, Nicole Clausen, coach, advisor, and champion for veterinary teams and their inventory. Joining you live from the mountains of Montana, welcome to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Inventory Nation podcast. In this episode, I'm so excited to be joined by Susie Langer. Susie is a veterinary technician from Youngstown, Ohio. She is also the founder of President Bifford, a platform for the education and advocacy of special needs animals. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Of course, my pleasure. So tell us your story. How did you get started in veterinary medicine? So I actually started out as a librarian. I graduated from college with a bachelor's in history and realized that I love reading. I love books, but I could not sit still. And as much as I don't want to admit, my mother was right. I should have (laughs) been a vet technician from the get go. I didn't. So a couple years later, finally took the plunge. Best thing I ever did. I swear, like, you know how people say when you wake up, go do a job you love and you never work a day in your life. That is totally my MO. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I love reading as well, but I would have to agree with you. I'm not sure I could like sit still and be like a librarian. I mean, I love to read, but yeah. I'm in the same boat. Even the doctors at work are like, okay, Susie, I just need you to stand for like two seconds while I'm talking to you. And I'm like, I know, but I just, yeah, I'm the same way. Same way. <laughs> That's so funny. So what type of practice are you working at now? Are you at a small animal practice? So I am at a, it's a three doctor, 15 support staff, uh, AHA accredited clinic. You see cats, dogs, pocket pets. Um, it's just general practice, but It can be just as chaotic and crazy as any other clinic, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So that is so cool. So then tell me about your work with um, the advocacy of special needs animals and kind of what inspired you there? Uh, My jam. That is my gig. So I adopted Bifford. He is a cerebellar hypoplasia cat, which means that he has a neurologic disorder. The best way I explain it to people is he looks like a drunk man. He wobbles and bobs and weaves, but it does not slow him down one bit. Um, I got inspired actually because I took him for a wellness exam when I first adopted him. And this was before I was at a vet clinic. And one of the technicians popped their head in and saw him like bobbling around and getting into stuff and being a normal cat. And And she kind of had this sympathetic look on her face and she was real quiet and said, you know, are you here to euthanize him? And I was floored because he was there for vaccines. And I said, no. And she had assumed that he had suffered some sort of abuse, which had caused him to behave that way. And then they actually offered to euthanize him as a courtesy to me. And after, you know, not going to be proud, a few choice words, I uh, realized that there was so much work that needed to be done as far as advocacy and education was concerned on the veterinary professional front. So then Mm -hmm. the bird for president was born. (laughs) That is so crazy to think about that, you know, that you were expecting to bring a cat in for a wellness and Mm -hmm. they offered euthanasia. 
Yeah, and they said they would absolutely do it for free if that was a concern, that clearly he was suffering. And I, I kind of laughed because I said he just heard and tried to bite you because he was so excited that you were loving him. I said, yeah. I, don't, I don't really think he's suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where has um so where has that kind of led you? So what types of work and what kind of goes into um you know President Bifford? So we do a lot of education. Uh, I am huge on uh, sending out educational packets to veterinary clinics so uh, their support staff and their technicians can kind of read up on on CH because. We are seeing it a lot lately. I was just thinking about a case at work where um, a cat came in on emergency and he had kind of a head tilt and a little tick. And the, the owner said, yeah, he's had it for six years. We've been to three doctors. Nobody could tell us what it is. And I, I said, I, I think I know what's wrong with your cat. So she was just so blown away that after all that time and all those vets, nobody kind of knew what was wrong with him. But I knew exactly what was wrong with him. And I just... I do a lot of talking to people. Uh, you know, we send out flyers and stickers. I have the website, presidentbifford.com, so you can go check out the video of my boy bobbling around, and he kind of does a head dive onto the floor and gets back up and is like, eh, I'm not phased. Let's keep rocking and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think that's amazing. Um, several, well, I don't even know how many years, probably maybe like six or seven years ago, I adopted a rabbit who had, I can't even remember how to say it, but it's like the parasite that they get in their brain that makes them neurologic and where they're paralyzed. And yeah. she was an Angora. And so she was paralyzed in her hind end. Oh. And so I would brush her every day and like give oh. her like a little butt bath every day. And she was like the most darling thing you've ever met she was like so sweet right? and she would like I would like go outside to read and she would just like lay with me outside oh. I mean like just oh. like the light of my life and right that she was originally brought in to be euthanized because she was kind yeah. of an inconvenience um and required a lot of care and so I can totally relate to your story about just like what an incredible like bond and like what an incredible like spirit yeah. a special needs animal has I agree and it kills me that's it's funny you touched base on that because I get that question all day every day oh that's you know that's a lot of work that's going to take more vet care more money more everything and honestly Bifford is considered moderate CH so he's not mild where you might not necessarily see an issue with them but he's not severe to the point where he needs constant care. He's kind of in the middle of that spectrum where every so often we call them code Browns where he needs a little uh, hazmat cleanup crew. Uh, but he uses a litter box. It might not be beautiful or glorious, but he does it. And I don't think he spends any more time at the vet than any other cat. I mean, maybe to come and schmooze and flirt with the girls and his favorite doctors, <laughs> but not necessarily medical wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny totally and at least in like in my experience with butterscotch it was like just a thousand percent worth it and eventually like yeah. I did have to um euthanize her because she you know went downhill um yeah. but if like I could have more time with her I wouldn't change anything and I feel like you right. know that spending that time with her was so worth it so 
Oh, I agree. And it's funny. I adopted Bifford from a local cat shelter. He was returned three separate times. And the last time he was returned, the previous owners put on his surrender form. Well, we wanted him to die with dignity. So we locked him in an empty hot tub so we can contain his mess. And yeah, it was horrible. So I just his story from the get-go made me realize that people need to know how amazing specially abled animals are and they're they're amazing they really are i mean they should be given a chance to totally i 100 percent agree so let's um share with some of the, the listeners what can veterinary professionals do as individuals and then veterinary practices as a whole do to be more mindful and considerate of you know, you know, special needs animals and, you know, similar situations? That's a great question. And one that I think about often, um, I feel like the number one point would be communication. Uh, there's a situation that kind of pops into my brain that is reflects perfectly on this. A CH parent emailed me and said, you know, we're doing curbside at my vet clinic due to COVID. There's a new veterinarian and a new technician. I brought my CH cat. Um, I thought it was noted in his chart, but when the technician brought him into the building and let him wobble around, she thought it was a medical emergency. So they started prepping him for an IV catheter for, you know, fluids and meds and the whole nine. And then a an assistant came out and said, Hey, well, you know, he's a, he's a special dude. Like he, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just bobs around. So I, I find that communication is the first thing that I noticed that they, that professionals could be mindful of. The second one would probably be a little understanding and compassion. And I'm not saying that as a whole in the field, but every so often I'll find more older school vets that their automatic responses to euthanize them when that's not the norm anymore. And that's not socially acceptable how we look at specially abled animals. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So it's kind of like thinking through like, how can we make sure that we like set up like patient wide or hospital wide alerts on their chart or just like passing that communication. It's like, Hey, this is kind of the situation. Here's the unique scenario of this animal and not, you know, thinking it's an emergency when they just came in for wellness and vaccines. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot. And in fact, um, president Bifford and I had started making, we make carrier tags that are brightly colored, uh, vinyl lead, like luggage tags that'll say, ask me about my handicap or I'm CH or I'm blind or I have seizures. So it kind of takes the anxiety out of specially able pet parents doing the curbside deal. I mean, I know that's stressful for any pet parent, but it, it takes it to a whole new level when, you know, you are giving your CH cat to a technician that might not know too much about them and it it's common there are a lot of people that still don't know about them and that's kind of where we come in yeah totally um yeah that's so interesting yeah because I don't think that I have I'm just trying to think like in my career I don't think that I've ever seen a cat with that and maybe really? I have I didn't realize it so but a lot I, of times oh go ahead 
Oh, I was just going to say, I have worked in like very like dog centered practices. I found that like the significant amount of the population is dogs, but we do have some of the members of the veterinary inventory strategy network who either work for cat only or the majority of their, the pet population is cats. So I'm sure that their experience is probably a little different. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and then I, in my travels and in my uh, endeavors of meeting new specially able pet parents, I found out that dogs can absolutely have CH as well. Um, they get it from the mother having distemper. So if the mother has distemper, it doesn't necessarily get passed down to the babies, but it just means their cerebellums don't develop correctly. And that's exactly how cats get it. Another way they get it, and we see it a lot in the shelter setting, is when the shelters vaccinate pregnant cats for the modified live virus of the feline distemper vaccine, you will absolutely get CH cats that way. Oh, that is so crazy. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I know. It blew my mind. So yeah, we, we try to reach out to shelters too to stress to them the importance of knowing you know, your FERCP vaccine, is it a modified live virus vaccine or is it a non-modified? Because that is absolutely going to be a deal breaker in vaccinating, you know, your pregnant queens, especially coming up on kitten season, because you'll, you'll get a litter of CH cats and they might not all be CH, but I guarantee you're going to get one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's just so important to think about. Um, so interesting. So in all of your work with special abled pet parents and the animals, um, do you have a particular story or case kind of throughout your work that you really hold near and dear to your heart? Hmm. I have a couple. I have a couple. I, <laughs> none that I can really pinpoint, but I, I can say that this journey has introduced me to so many cool people and animals and all their stories. And it just, it's kind of inspiring because I, I see so much strength and resiliency, not only in animals that have these special abilities, but they're people as well. I, I laugh because when I first got Bifford, I swear I wanted to wrap him up in a bubble. He needed a helmet, like the bubble wrap. I did not want him to like cough funny because I was going to panic. And now I'll bring him to work. He'll wobble around. He'll sneeze. He'll like try to knock himself out because he loses balance. All the girls are like swarming to him. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. He'll get back up. Let him just brush it off. And and they're like freaking out where I'm like, good. Yeah. So the one story I think that sticks out is we had a client that brought a cat in on an emergency. He was a male cat. He was blocked. And he was circling and acting really funny. And I, I had asked him, I said, is this part of the, him being blocked? Because I'd never seen that before. And he said, no, we've spent thousands of dollars going to, you know, specialists and doctors and this and that. And, and I was like, you know, I think your cat has CH and he just started to cry. And I said, I'm so sorry if I broke your heart. And he said, no, this he's 10 years old. And we had no idea for 10 years that this was, anything that we should worry about. We were just kind of preparing ourselves for one day waking up and he wouldn't be with us anymore. So to hear that it's not a death sentence, it's not going to get worse, it's not contagious, he's not suffering. He was just so relieved to know that there was somebody out there that 
knew what he was dealing with and he wasn't alone that he just like grabbed me and held me and he was like this big 300 pound man tattooed from the neck down and he like picked me up off the ground oh yeah <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> i feel like that has to be just the best feeling <laughs> yeah i mean i was i'm not gonna lie like i was a little frightened because i'm like he could probably snap me in half with one you know just swoop but he was like picking me up and damn my feet are dangling off the ground and and the technician that was in there with me is looking and shaking her head she's like I don't I don't know what to do but it was a moment for sure <laughs> that's so funny so what are the symptoms of CF and like how can like veterinary professionals kind of like recognize it and what are what are some of the things to watch out for Oh, it's a good one. So a lot of the times the question I get the most is, how can you diagnose cerebellar hypoplasia animal? And sure, you could totally go get an MRI done thousands of dollars and like a kidney later, and they'll be able to see that, you know, the cerebellum is not developed properly. But honestly, you would know within about six to eight weeks of a kitten or even a puppy, um, once they start to get mobile, you'll notice they, it's called goose stepping, where they kind of walk like there's something on their paws. They'll pick them up real high. Um, they like to do the triangle sit where I could totally send you pictures. They just sit with such a stance and they might have a head tilt. Um, they might kind of hold on to the wall as they walk to keep their lives from flying off kilter. Um, some of them shake. Some of them have like a head tick. Uh, Bifford had a brother who was severe that he laid on his side, but he kind of, I don't want to call it slithered, but he did. He kind of slithered and that was just kind of his jam. So those are kind of some of the, the things to look out for. Of course, you know, you always want to go take your animals to the vet to roll out. Is it like a toxicity to something? Is it um, you know, brain damage, was it trauma of some sort? Uh, if all of those things were rolled out, then nine times out of 10, you have yourself a sweet CH animal. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. all those little symptoms to watch out for. Yep. Yeah. But, and that's the thing people, and I, I was guilty of it too. People freak out when they see that. I mean, to this day, Bifford goes everywhere. We've taken him to hell, Michigan. Like he's went to see Santa. He's got his picture taken with the Easter bunny. Like he goes all <laughs> over the place and people look at him like, Oh, that poor thing. He's suffering. You know, it's almost like a tone of sympathy. And I'm like, no, no, he has a better life than most people. He is rocking and rolling. Just let him do his thing. And Oh yeah. So people will still look at him and get that pang of, you know, sadness, but not even phased. And I swear he, he's just like all the other cats. And we had foster kittens that were just learning how to drink out of a saucer. So there was like six of them and I put the saucer down and they'd all come running and he'd come Bifford and he'd be like bumbling out and he'd like smush two of them and get back up and be like, all right, mom, like all the little babies are here. Like, what's up? And he just had no idea that he was like this 13 pound long haired big dude. And there's all these little baby puffs around him. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, he's ridiculous. I mean, he really is, but he, he's such a good vehicle for dialogue and education and advocacy because even, you know, at work we hired 
uh, new client services reps. And when they saw him, they were mortified at first. And I said, no, no, he was born like that. That was totally, you know, <laughs> one of the girls, God love her. She's like, you know, can I, can I buy a cat like that? And I said, well, I mean, you can, I don't know. They don't like make them like that, but you can buy one. Sure. So it's every day is a learning experience. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So do you have any advice for other veterinary professionals who are, you know, really uh, passionate about a particular subject and want to explore it further and just kind of follow in a similar path as yours of, you know, really becoming an advocate for these wonderful little creatures? Absolutely. Do your homework. And that's what I tell everybody. Um, Because when I started, when I adopted Bifford, I knew nothing. I had no clue how to handle things. Obviously, I panicked anytime he would flop over. I was the textbook helicopter parent through and through. So I just tell everyone to to read up, do your homework. Uh, Another thing I get a lot of questions about are cerebellar animals in anesthesia. That's the big one I talk about. Um, And there's not a lot of information. So like I was proactive and I figured... I just start bothering people. So I contacted, you know, the anesthesia society and, you know, the veterinary medical association. And I just started sending emails out to anybody I could think of that might be able to help me answer this question. Funny enough, there's only one vet. Well, it's a doctor in California at the veterinary uh, UC Davis that she has a CH cat. She ran their uh, education department for anesthesia she was able to do kind of like a short study on one of her cats with CH uh, in anesthesia. That's the only study that I could find for years that pertained to those two topics, because you'll hear people say no ketamine. You don't want to do ketamine with CH cats. There's not really any studies that show you shouldn't do ketamine with CH cats. I mean, ketamine's a rough drug to wake up on anyway, but I, I get that a lot where you'll see it on, on the boards, you know, no ketamine, no, make sure it's gas only. But Bifford had a full mouth dental last year. I ugly cried being ridiculous, but he had ketamine and he is still rocking and rolling. and he raged all night. Like he, he was not worried about anything. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I would say do your homework. Just start bothering people. I could say I probably was a thorn in many sides in the beginning. <laughs> education is where it's at right well and it does make sense because you know you were like a librarian for you know so it does make sense to like that educational aspect there the nerd is strong one with me I mean I have no shame (laughs) in admitting that it is it's strong I'm right there with you (laughs) I mean yeah and I'm all about learning so I might as well just keep going and be ridiculous about it so oh yeah Totally. Yeah. Just be like a forever learner. And then I just, I I can imagine that all the people and the animals and the stories that you interact with is just so fulfilling and rewarding. It really is. It really is. And the amount of times that I talk to people about my specially abled animals, because not only do I have Bifford, I have his little brother who we had to take his eye out. He has a rat terrier brother who's epileptic. He just lost a pug sister who was deaf, had cancer. Like, all my animals, I love them. They're raging dumpster fires of mutants. 
<laughs> they are mine and that's what makes them amazing but they all have a story and if I can help inspire one other person out there then I've done what I was put on this earth to do totally I think that's so amazing well I'm sure that you with this episode you have so thank you so much for joining us I really appreciate it no I appreciate you having me it was awesome of course <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast and spending your time with me. I know your time is valuable and in short supply, so it truly is an honor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or leave a review. Be sure to visit vetlogic.co slash podcast to access the show notes and discover additional links and resources. See you next time.